Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. We continue our series this morning, Fearless, and I want to start, uh, you can go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Samuel 15 and 14. We're going to be right around in there. If you have your Bible and grab a pen, there'll be a couple of things I want you to circle today. People respond to storms in radically different ways. If you and I were to be on a coast somewhere and to know that there was a hurricane coming in, uh, the way we would respond to that probably would be different. Uh, for ev- as many of us as are in the building this morning, there probably would be a somewhat different response. We just look at things uh, a, a little uh, funny sometimes. My wife and I have been in Florida on vacation when hurricanes have been approaching, and my wife loves to be on a beach. I mean, just flat out loves to be on a beach. And our, one time we were there with the kids, and they were little, and you know, we were watching the weather, and sure enough, this hurricane's coming, and she's trying to figure out how many days we've got before we have to leave. And I'm watching the waves come in, and they're getting bigger, and the sky's getting grayer, and you know, she's trying to calculate exactly how long we could, what's the last possible minute we could actually stay and. Could we actually go swimming in the ocean? No, we cannot. Um, we're going to lose our kids if we do that. So, you know, I was ready to get out of there, and she wasn't. She wanted to stay, and, and she rather liked it. Um, one of the biggest storms in the history of Israel is found in First Samuel. And um, the Scripture says that this group of people called the Philistines, these massive, uh, godless, ruthless men, um, they hated the nation of Israel. They hated Israel's God. They, they didn't like them at all, and so the Bible tells us that they had positioned themselves um, to attack Israel, and that there were 3,000 chariots, there were 6,000 charioteers, and then the Bible says that the soldiers were numbered as many as there are sands on the uh, seashore. Um, a couple of leaders faced those challenges. They faced them in different ways. One proved himself to be fearless. First uh, Samuel chapter 15. Before we get to that, let me just go over with you again our foundational passage. It's First Timothy, Second Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There, there, you are one of two kinds of people. Uh, each of us, we, you're, you're going to fall into one of these two categories, okay? You are either in the category that as you drive around town and you filled your car up with gas and you watch the tank get lower and lower and lower, you're one of two kinds of people. You're going to respond to that stimulus differently. One group of people, when the, when the gas tank gets below a quarter, you put gas in it before it before the gas light comes on how many of you are in that camp i put gas in my car before the gas light comes on okay check this out watch this there's another group of you you really don't think you need gas until the gas light comes on in fact you know is that you raise your hand if that's you yeah see that's a bunch of us it's a bunch of us you ever described your 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 gas tank this way well honey i've got another stick left You wait as long as you can. Today we're going to uh, confront fear in a little different way. We're going to talk about being fearless in a, in a different kind of way. We're going to talk about the fear of running out, the fear of not having enough, the fear of not measuring up, the fear of, of coming up short. 
in the text, 1 Samuel, that we're going to be in, it, it, there's a war being waged, and it's between the army of Israel, it's between the Philistines and the Amalekites. These two groups of people did not like the Israelites at all, did not like God, and there are two guys that we're going to talk about. The first one is a king, his name is Saul. Saul had a son whose name was Jonathan. They respond to the Philistines and the Amalekites in vastly different ways. The way these two respond leaves us wondering why why did they act the way that they did what why does one respond differently than another is it just that jonathan had courage and and saul was was a coward and 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 didn't really behave maybe the way god wanted well that's that's part of it but there's more to it than that the real problem is that saul had what what saul had was what he lived for he lived his, his life the, the same way that many of us live our life. He lived his life out of a mindset of scarcity. Maybe that's you. Maybe you live your life out of a mindset of scarcity, the fear of running out, the fear that, that there is never really fully enough. Jonathan, on the other hand, lived his life out of abundance, that what he had in this world was more than enough and that he, in fact, was enough. The results of the way these two men approached life is, is staggering. A common refrain that you will hear out of people who are single, who are dating, and they're, you know, I, I've always taught people that the whole reason that you date is to find a mate. I mean, that's really why we do that, isn't it? So uh, it, those who are single, one of the things that you'll hear them say a lot is, well, it just seems that all of the good ones are taken. They're all taken. You know what that is? That's a mindset of scarcity. Parents, has this ever happened to you? you? You've got your kids ready to go. It's time to get everybody out the door and get them in the car, take them to school. You're ready for work. You're ready to leave the house, make sure the pets are taken care of. And one of the kids pipes up and says, Hey, Dad, I forgot to tell you, I don't have any money in my cafeteria account. And you don't have money to give them. You know, there's, no, there's just not money to give them. And you're thinking to yourself, well, now's a fine time to let I mean, before we leave and just get in the car to take you to school, that's not the time to be telling me you don't have any money in your cafeteria account. Or, hey, Dad, my book fee is due, and it's $225. And you swallow hard and wonder, okay, God? Or, hey, we're going to go on a field trip and I've got to turn the money in today? Well, how much is it, son? Well, it's $15. And I need you to sign this paper and give me $15. Maybe for you it's time. You come in from work and you're tired. You, you've, you know, you've, you've been on point all day. The dishes are stacked up. The house is a mess. Kids have to be three or four different places tonight. The bills need to be paid, and you think, how many, how many of you have said this in the last month? There just in, are not enough hours in the day. It just doesn't seem like there's enough time for me to be able to accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished. There's not enough. That, that's our world, isn't it? I mean, that's the world we live in. We live oftentimes in a mindset of scarcity. Never enough. Never enough of what? Well, whatever it is. Whatever it is that is important to you, whatever it is that you place high value on, 
If you live from a mindset of scarcity, what you're saying all the time is, I I cannot get enough of that. Look at how this plays out in the life of Saul. God is going to speak to Saul very specifically through a prophet named Samuel. And, and he's fed up with the Amalekites blaspheming him. He's, he's fed up with the way they've been behaving and responding to him. And so he says to Saul through Samuel in, verse, in, in, first, <clears throat> excuse me, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 3. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy everything. If you have a pen in your hand, you want to circle that word. Totally destroy everything that belongs to, him, to them. This is a, one of my favorite passages of scripture there's a great sermon that goes with this we're not going to get into today but he says do not spare them now if that were you and me and we heard Samuel speak to us and we knew that it was God speaking to us and and we read that passage we would hear the words everything and do not spare we would hear that but Saul responds in verse 7 then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. Now, if you just stop right there, it sounds pretty good. If you don't read any further, it sounds like Saul did a good thing, he was obedient to God, and everything should be just fine. That's not how Saul rolls. Listen to the rest of it, verse 8. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle the fat calves and lambs everything that was good these they were circle this word unwilling to destroy completely but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed so if it wasn't any good they didn't they they killed that but if it was something worth having they hung on to it why because in Saul's world you can't get enough in Saul's world, there's never enough because Saul lives from a mindset of scarcity. You see, when people live out of a mindset of scarcity and they see the opportunity to take something, they take it because in their mind, there may not be another chance. It may not get better than this. And I gotta do it now because this may be as good as it ever gets. It's a mindset of scarcity. If you live in a, in a world where there's never enough, there's another question that's always being asked. What is it for you that you cannot let go of it's a great question for all of us to think about this morning what is it for me that I I simply cannot let go of what is it for me that that I find myself grabbing on to and holding on to real tight in India there are Indians uh, there are of course there are Indians in India (laughs) just call me Mr. Obvious this morning in India there are monkeys and there are monkey poachers in India. You know how they catch monkeys in India? They take a coconut, they tie it to a, a rope or a string. They drill a small hole in the back of the coconut and they, they put rice inside the coconut. The monkey can smell the rice. He takes it and he looks around and he sees the hole and he can, it's just big enough for him to stick his hand through. And when he gets his hand inside the coconut, he grabs the rice. And the moment he grabs the rice, the poacher has him. Do you know why? Because the monkey will not, will not let go of the rice. He, he knows it's in there. He can smell it. He can feel it. He can almost taste it. 
And no matter what's going on, he'll pull, try as he might. He cannot get his hand out unless he would let go of the rice and then pull his hand out. But it, it's, not even, it, it's not even in his thinking to do that. He has no paradigm for letting go of the rice because he's got to have it. And the minute he grabs a hold of the rice and he won't let go, he's caught. He's in bondage. He's in prison. There are things in our life that we just simply refuse to let go of for fear that we won't get another chance, that it won't get any better than this. And whether or not you believe it, you are imprisoned by that thing to which you hang on to. You're just like the monkey. What is it for you that you cannot risk losing? What is it that you just simply have a very difficult time letting go of? It's possible that you could crave love so much that you involve yourself in a relationship that's not good for you, but you can't let it go. Is that, is that where you become the monkey? You're in prison and God's saying, let it go, and you're saying, but there, it may not, you know, something better may not come along. It may not be any better than this. Maybe it's control. Some of us are just control freaks. And we manipulate every possible circumstance. We, we want to control every possible circumstance because we really believe that there's nobody that can do it any better than us. And if we're really honest, we don't think that God can really do it any better than us. God, I've got to hang on to this one. I've got to do it my way. I know you're God. I know you're sovereign. But really, God, in this particular instance, I think it's best that I do it and not you because I really know what I'm doing here. And we're miserable. And everybody around us is miserable. Because we've got to have the control. And we're in prison. If that's you, that's your rice. And God says, let it go. Maybe it's money. Check this out. Did you know that for those of us who make more than $25,000 a year, okay, I want you to hear this. For those of us who make more than $25,000 a year, that puts us in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. It gets better. If you make more than $42,000 a year, it puts you in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. But what do we do? There's never enough. Never enough. We... Um, I think that for some in our church right now, that's what is going on. I think that we have some people uh, that the mindset of scarcity has kind of set in because we're told and we see on the television and we see closings and we see banks having trouble and financially things are topsy-turvy and we really don't know how to make sense of it all. And, uh, you know, we know that, that this is a time when we're supposed to be careful with our money. And so we've gotten into a mindset of scarcity when it comes to money. And the fact of the matter is, all this stuff going on around you may not have affected you at all personally. You just hear about it on television, you hear about it on the news, and you, you worry that it could affect you, but truthfully it hasn't. And, and that has been enough to cause you to kind of shrink back. And maybe you don't give like you used to give. And you live your life out of a mindset of scarcity and you think to yourself, but if I, you know, I may not have enough. I can't, I've got to stop. I really believe that's what's, that's what's happened a little bit with our church is that we, we've gotten to a place where we said mindset of scarcity, I've got to pull back a little bit. Got to hang on to this. 
because I don't know what's going to happen next. And we don't trust God that if we honor him without giving, with our giving, that he will provide what we need. And so what we do is we, we cheat. We cheat him. We don't cheat us. We still go out to eat. We still entertain ourselves. We still buy the things that we need. But sorry, God, I can't give to you because I might not have enough. Saul could have had whatever he wanted. He was the king. He had, he had more than enough. He had everything that he needed. The truth is, what you have is irrelevant to whatever it is that you think you need. When you live out of a mindset of scarcity, what is it that you cannot let go of? Understand this, the moment that you invite Christ into your life, everything gets turned upside down. All the economies change. It's an interesting thing. Uh, life be becomes different when you come to Christ because now as a Christian, less becomes more. Jesus comes along and says, hey, if you want to be great, then you will become the least. You will, you'll be a servant. You won't, you won't have this mindset of scarcity. You won't look at things and say, well, I've got to cling to and I've got to hold on. I've got to claim position. I've got to claim title. I've got to, I've got to have power. Jesus says, when you come to me, all that changes. If you want to be great, be the least. Serve. Don't, don't jockey for position. Don't try to set yourself up to be bigger than you are. I hope today to be able to convince you to live less like Saul and more like Jonathan. Living out of abundance starts with three really pretty simple things. Number one, knowing God is my unlimited supply. Not with your mind, but, but really with your lifestyle. Knowing who I am and knowing what God can do through me. Knowing God is my unlimited supply, knowing who I am and knowing what God can do through me. These three things, these three places are easily found in the life of Jonathan. He intimately knows God. He knows who he is and he knows that for which he has been created. You're going to see that in the way he responds. They face a battle with the Philistine army. There are thousands of soldiers. They're ready to attack Israel. These guys are nasty and mean, and nobody really wants to tangle with them. This is not something that is going to be a whole lot of fun. Saul, his dad, is hiding under a pomegranate tree. He doesn't want any part of the Philistines and the Amalekites because he has too much to lose. He can't risk going into battle because if he goes into battle, then he could lose, and he can't afford to lose. He has a mindset of scarcity. And he has this fear that he will lose everything. You know, I watch my share of sports. I'm a, I think I could call myself a sports fan. I enjoy watching a good game. I especially like the, uh, the March Madness tournament. I like you know, the NCAA tournament when it rolls around. I like the, the playoffs of any kind, really. Uh, right now it's baseball season and the baseball teams are, you know, there's just a couple of playoff spots left and you got like three or four teams that are vying for these spots. And what you see happen, you see this a lot in college football, you see this a lot in college basketball. When, when one team has to win the game, I mean, it's, they're expected to win, everybody expects them to win, and, and their mindset is we have to have this game. And instead of playing to win the game, what do they do? 
They play not to lose the game. You ever seen a team build a huge lead and then change their whole tactics for the second half of a game and blow the game? Happens all the time. What is that? That's a mindset of scarcity. It's a mindset that says, we've got too much to lose. No, you've got a lot to play for. What you want is still out there. You've got nothing. You've got an illusion. So you play to win the game. You play as hard as you can. You don't play not to lose. Jonathan is sick of watching his dad, a man who is able-bodied, has an army, has power, has political influence. Saul has everything he needs to go against the Amalekites, not to mention the fact that God has told him, this is what I want you to do. And he refuses to obey. And so Jonathan is sick of watching his dad do nothing, and he says, I'm done. <laughs> Let's go. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised fellow, to, of those uncircumcised fellows. Uh, see how that goes for you tomorrow at work, go in and refer to your enemies as those uncircumcised fellows. That ought to go over real good. Perhaps, I want to circle that word, perhaps, the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He says, I'm sick of watching what's happening. I'm sick of the way my dad's responding to this whole thing. Let's go pick a fight, and maybe, just maybe, God will take up for us. Maybe God will get involved. I don't know. Maybe he won't. Maybe we go do this, and God leaves us high and dry. But I'm not going to sit around here all day and watch my dad cower under a pomegranate tree. And I'm not going to sit around here all day and watch these guys parade up and down and act like they're big shots when I know that God's got something that he wants done with them. I'm not going to sit by idly by and watch that happen. So let's go pick a fight and maybe God will show up. When we begin to live our lives out of abundance, recognizing who he is and what we really have as a child of God, a couple of things are going to happen. First of all, you will pick risky fights. You'll pick some risky fights. Why? Because you've got nothing to lose. Because you're not like the basketball team that builds a big lead and in the second half changes their whole tactics and says, I've got to cling to what I think I have when they really have nothing. Every resource God has is at your disposal and you know it. You are a son or a daughter of the king. You know that you should live life that way and live your life out of a mindset of abundance instead of a mindset of scarcity. What do you have to lose? You will pick risky fights. And they often will seem like unwinnable fights. In fact, I think that for churches and for Christians, many times we should look for what seem to be unwinnable fights and pursue those. I have seen in this church's history and I foresee in this church's future times when we will pick unwinnable fights. People are going to say, you can't do that, and they'll be exactly right. We can't do that. We say it all the time around here. We want to lean into the fullness and the breast of God. We want to say to God, God, we know that on our own we can't do what it is that you're calling us to do. We've got to have you. 
And when, when we announce plans to do something and people say, oh, you can't do that, they're exactly right. We can't do it. But we want to pick, as a church, we want to pick risky fights. As a, as a Christian, I want to encourage you to pick risky fights. Lean into things that you say, God, unless you show up, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. Look what Jonathan does. They go to storm a sea of soldiers with two guys. This is great. Verse 14 of chapter 14. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. Verse 15, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Let's pick a fight, and perhaps God will show up. And in fact, God did show up. The ground shook. Some of us need to pick fights today. You've got some some battles in your personal life that need to be addressed. I'm sure we all do. Maybe for you it's debt. He's thinking, oh man, I did not come to church this morning to hear the preacher get on me about my debt. If I'd known he was going to do this, I'd have stayed in bed. But let's be honest. You've done it to yourself. And it is a weight that is so heavy from time to time that you can hardly bear it. That when you begin to think about your future sometimes relative to the debt that you have, it scares you to death. I'm calling you to pick a fight today. And perhaps God will help. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, you're going to laugh at me and you're going to think I'm crazy, but you give. It's where you start. You give. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Sounds crazy that I would have so much debt and the way God wants to show up in my world is, is by me giving. But crazy as it sounds, that is the economy of God and that's how it works. I, w- I would put it to you this way. You've tried it your way. Try it God's way. Honor him with your money. You, you not honoring God with your money has gotten you to the place where you are now. So, you know, think differently. Pick a risky fight. Say, God, <laughs> bills come in. The percentage number gets bigger and bigger every month. The, the weight that I feel, the number gets huge. It gets bigger every month. And yet, this brainless preacher is telling me that one of the ways I pick a fight with my debt is to be generous and to give God would say, yeah, that's my economy. That's how I work. You honor me, and I'll take care of you. You see, our debt really is a result, really is a result of a mindset of scarcity. People who live in a mindset of abundance, I mean, I don't have any scientific data to back this up, but I think I could say this. I think people that live out of a a mindset of abundance have less debt than people who live out of a mindset of scarcity. And that is directly tied to your faith in God. When we trust him, he multiplies it back. That's just how it works. Pick a fight. Pick a fight. Give. Perhaps God will help. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. It's worse than that. You would say, my marriage is falling apart. You've been picking a fight with your spouse. How about this? How about you pick a fight for your spouse? How about you begin to pray, both of you, you, you humble yourself and you pray and, 
and you, you do some of the hard things before God that are so difficult whenever you go through difficult times. You're going to pick a fight, and perhaps God will show up, and perhaps God will help. You're going to get on your knees. You're going to humble yourself. You're going to pray for your spouse. You're going to pray God's best blessing on them. Maybe they've been hateful. Maybe they've betrayed you. Maybe there's a lot of things going on, and you say, man, I don't know if I can do that. I'm saying pick a risky fight. Perhaps God will show up. Parents, you have a child that is just not going the right direction. You have prayed and prayed and prayed. And you don't know what else to do. And you, you, know, you would come in and you'd say, I, I mean, I have these conversations from time to time with you. You come in and you say, man, I, <laughs> this isn't going the way we thought it was going to go. Pick a fight with your spiritual enemy because what the spiritual enemy wants to do is he wants you to give up. That's what he wants. He wants you to say, well, this is a wash. This isn't going to get any better. Uh, it's not going to change. I've lost this one. I've prayed my heart out, and I'm just ready, God, to just throw my hands up in the air and give up. And what God would say to you is, I want you to pray. I want you to pray today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and you engage yourself and you stay in it and you do not give up and you live your life out of an abundance, a, a, life, a, a mindset of abundance, and you pick a fight and perhaps God will show up and the ground will shake. It happens. When we begin living a life, of, out of, a life out of abundance, out of knowing who God is and what we have in him, we're going to pick risky fights. But the second thing we're going to do, we're going to live recklessly selfless lives. You're going to pick risky fights and you're going to live recklessly selfless lives. The most profound thing that you see in this story is not what you read, it's what you don't read. It's what is not recorded. It's what doesn't happen. It's not really what does happen. There's not a single instance where Jonathan ever said or did anything in this particular story, really in the life of Jonathan, if you really pay attention, where Jonathan does anything to benefit Jonathan. He is the heir to be the next king of Israel. All of a sudden, God anoints this teenager to basically take his place. Jonathan is lined up. I mean, by, by most standards, he is supposed to be the next king. God comes along and says, no, we're going to anoint this boy, this young boy named David, and he's going to be, you know, uh, Mr. Wonderful, Mr. Everything. Jonathan didn't say a word about it. He didn't say, hey, God, that's my spot. I'm next in line. That's my castle. That's my throne. These are my people. I'm supposed to have that job, not David. What's going on? You don't hear anything like that out of, out of Jonathan. He said, hey, David, I'm giving my life to your service. Recklessly selfless. It wasn't about him. His dad's playing it safe under a tree not attacking Jonathan goes to risk his life why maybe God would be pleased maybe he would see my desire to worship and obey him and maybe he'll show up and maybe the ground will shake who knows it wasn't about Jonathan see when you know who you are in Christ you don't have to live your life to, to get something back most of us are we're, we're basically looking for what life can give us back we want the rebate 
but when you have a life in Christ you don't do that because you already realize that you have everything that you need when you really begin to live out of the abundance you will pick risky fights and God will get the glory when those victories come and they will come you will pick risky fights you will win and God will get the glory and we will we will live recklessly selfless lives Mark chapter 8 don't need to turn there Jesus said whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it I heard a story about a a family the father um, owned a donut store it was a family business and the the the, had some daughters and the daughters when they got old enough to have kids come over and spend the night the the daughters would invite their friends to spend the night for slumber parties and things and it was always a treasured thing to be invited by these daughters to go spend the night at this house because they knew that in the morning they would get up and be taken to the donut shop that was the highlight of the whole thing we get to go to the donut shop and they would go in and they would see all the cases full of donuts dad had been up working hard already that morning and they'd walk in and they'd say hey cindy can i have a can i have a a a sprinkly donut sure yeah what about the these with chocolate on them can i can i have one of the chocolate ones sure the cream filled and the jelly filled i have one of those yeah well why was she so free with the donuts because her daddy owns the donuts her daddy makes the donuts what in the world are we afraid of our daddy makes the donuts why why do we live our life out of a mindset of scarcity why do we cling to our money why why do we cling to our goodwill why do we not pray for our enemies why do we not pray for the people that we love Why, why are we so tempted to give in and give up why are we not picking risky fights and why are we not living selfless recklessly selfless lives our daddy makes the donuts there really really is there really really is more than enough there really is live like it if you are not a believer and you've done it your way and it's not working and let's be honest let's be honest it's just us if you're totally honest you would really say no it's not working I mean I don't want anybody to know that but when I'm honest when I'm laying in bed by myself staring at the ceiling I'm thinking about my life I'm thinking about doing it by myself and I don't follow God and I don't really uh, not profess to faith in Jesus and I wonder you know how is this all going to end up in the quiet still place where your soul and God kind of mingle and you're totally honest you would say no it's not working your way is not working i'm saying to you give god a shot pick a fight and perhaps god will show up i can tell you this i can tell you that when i go through difficult times i mean we all go through difficult times the difference is that when i get into those difficult times it's not too hard too tough to remember really that my daddy makes the donuts and i really have all that i need living life out of a mindset of scarcity will drive you nuts and living life out of a mindset of abundance 
is really the only way to do it. And if you've never given your heart to Christ, you can't know what that is. I'm inviting you to come into a mindset of abundance. Come under the lordship of Christ where you finally know I have a God who has everything under control and I'll do it his way. It'll be (laughs) hairy sometimes because this is a life of faith. And you don't always know what's around the next corner. But you do know this. You do know God's got the next corner covered. He will show up. And if you've never given your life to Christ, we're going to stand and sing in a moment. You'll be able to do that. Let's pray first. Father, these two mindsets are very prevalent among us. Most people live their life from a, a mindset of scarcity. And they think there's just, ne- there's just not enough. Most people play life like a ball game that they can't afford to lose instead of playing, a, playing it like a ball game that they want to win. Father, I pray that you would teach us every day what it is to pick a risky fight for you. I pray that every day we would find ourselves more and more compelled to live a recklessly selfless life. Father, you have demonstrated in so many ways over and over and over again how you can be trusted. It's your grace and kindness that leads us to repentance. Help us, Father, in this moment, in this hour to be honest with ourselves about how we look at you sometimes and how we hold back and how we don't trust. We're a lot more like Saul than we are like Jonathan. And really, Father, what we're after this morning is we want to walk out of here like Jonathan, ready to pick a fight. God, we love you. We lift you up. We honor you in this hour. We worship you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.